This podcast is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is made possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a new member of WBEZ or renew your membership online at WBEZ.org. Thanks. I can't believe how clearly you can see the lighthouse from here. I didn't realize it was so close. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a good view. All right, so we're standing here at the end of Navy Pier at the very tip out into Lake Michigan. It's really windy. And the first thing I see is the water treatment facility in Olive Park, which has only been on the coastline since like the 1970s. And then Oak Street Beach, Ohio Street Beach, Lakeshore Drive, Lincoln Park, moving northward up to all the harbors, right? Like Diversity Harbor, Belmont Harbor, Montrose Harbor, and that funny hook-shaped piece of land that sticks out into the lake around Montrose. And most of that is man-made. Almost none of it is natural. Wait, so what we're looking at now, looking north all along the lake, is a lie? <laughs> it's all a lie, Jen. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's always been a coastline. It just has almost never looked the way that it looks now. You're listening to the Curious City podcast from WBEZ Chicago. You ask the questions, we answer them together. I'm Jennifer Brandel, and that voice you just heard is WBEZ's Robin Amer, our coastline expert. Let's take a listen to the illuminating conversation we had recently about Chicago's coastline inside, where it's warm, at WBEZ. In studio, our special guest is Miriam Reuter, and she asked us a question a few months ago. And what was that question, Miriam? My question was, how has the Chicago coastline changed over the decades? Why would a kid from Cincinnati ask a question like that? I find it I find that I find it a wonderful, wonderful question. And I'm sure there was no easy answer, Robin. But why would you what what intrigued you? Well, um, full disclosure, the question was actually a friend of mine were bouncing questions back and forth. Um, in order to call Curious City. Yeah, because I got the, the It's uh, now the parlor bar game yeah. of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my friend came up with the question and I thought about it and I thought, you know, that's right. I live right on the lake in Rogers Park. I walk my dog on the lake all of the time. Um, I drive down Lakeshore Drive, you know, almost every day. And I was part of a sand volleyball team uh, on the lake. So I'm there a lot. And I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the city. So you just stole the question from someone else. But it's still a valid it's question. True. <laughs> How did you go about I, I find it a very intriguing question. Did you, Robin, too? Oh, absolutely. I was thrilled when Curious City brought this to my attention. There's so many elements to answering it. I mean, there's the natural history of the coastline. There's the built history of the coastline. There's the fascinating political history of the coastline and all the struggles to determine what will or won't get built there. So uh, I was very excited to be part of this uh, answer team. How'd you go about it at first? Photographs? I mean, Yeah, we decided to take a very visual approach to this question, in part because I do a lot of multimedia work, but in part because it makes sense. Our, our associations with the Chicago coastline are largely visual. So we tapped one of WBEZ's partner institutions, the Newberry, for help with this. And in August, Miriam and I went to the Newberry and met with their curator of maps, Jim Ackerman, and asked for his help to sort through some of the earliest maps of Chicago, which are at the Newberry. And so if you go to WBEZ.org right now, or if you go to our Scribd account, you will actually see about half a dozen of these historic Chicago maps dating all the way back to 18. 34, just after the city was founded. And and you can see it. You can look at these maps and say, wow, 
You know, in 1858, for example, it is obvious that the coastline fluctuated from year to year because of the Chicago River depositing sand there, or that in 1898, where we have a map of the downtown, Michigan Avenue was the lakefront, whereas now there's all of this parkland and Millennium Park and whatnot. Michigan Avenue abutted the lake. So you can see step by step how the coastline has changed over time in I, these maps. I, I can see in looking at you, your your passion for this <laughs> project. I'm serious. And you too, uh, you too, Miriam Reuter, you must have gone crazy at the Newberry. I had so much fun. It was a blast looking at all of these maps that I never would have gotten to see had I not asked the question. So, so some of it is all just natural occurrences and others right. of it is Cap Streeter and his stupid boat and silk <laughs> filling up and Lakeshore Drive. Well, one of the most interesting things I learned uh, from this reporting, Rick, was that there's almost no quote-unquote natural coastline left in Chicago that almost 100% of the lakefront is man-made in that it's la- it's landfill. It's land that didn't exist when the city was founded. We created it with dirt and rubble. Sometimes rubble from the great Chicago fire was used to create new land. Robin, who did you interview for this? Who's an expert on this? Well, I, I talked to a couple different historians including uh, a woman named Lois Willey, who I know is an old friend of yours. One of the great journalists of all time. Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter who wrote a definitive history of the coastline called Forever Open, Free, and Clear. And she was a real expert on the political history of the lakefront. We also talked to a woman named Julia Backrack, who is actually the official historian at uh, the Chicago Park District and is an expert on landscape architecture. So she was able to show us you know, how people's approach to creating these landscapes that looked natural, but which were actually man-made, changed over time. Who should we hear first? (laughs) Yeah, your choice, Robin. Who would you like to hear from? Well, I'd actually like to jump to another person I interviewed for this story first, if that's okay. And this is Mitch Murdoch, who manages the natural areas for the Park District. And, And what I learned from Mitch was fascinating, which is that even if it looks, quote unquote, natural, when you go to the lakefront, everything is planned, everything is designed, everything is carefully managed. So here's Mitch describing just how much attention they pay to these, quote unquote, natural areas. Strictly speaking from uh, an ecological perspective, you know, nature is oftentimes just a, a random smattering of everything, whereas we want it to be a little bit more designed, not that we're creating formal landscapes, but that it's actually something that's very intentional. In addition to desirable native species that you're going to get showing up, you're also going to get a whole heck of a lot of invasive and non-native species and non-desirable things showing up. You then have to manage the site in order to curb those and encourage the growth of the type of plants that you actually want to see there. So Mitch and I talked about, for example, the, the dunes, which, you know, I look at the dunes and I see sand with plants and I think, right. okay, there's just beaches here. But no, they go in and they, they plant marum grass, which helps root the sand down, and they pull out all the cottonweed trees, which are an invasive species. They buy these plants from a nursery and bring them into the lakefront. It's, it's not just there. It's groomed. So the politics involved in this, too, is very interesting because the Chicago lakefront could have turned into Gary yeah. and Whiting and some of the other places. What did Lois Willie have to say about that? She obviously had something to say. Right, absolutely. And and Lois's point was basically – and the point of her book is that uh, the lakefront has always been the subject of struggle, that there have always been people who have wanted to build on the lakefront, uh, commerce, industry, the Illinois Central Railroad, which did McCormick get to – McCormick Place. McCormick yes, Place. Yeah. And, and then there have been uh, preservationists, fans of open green space who said, you know what? No, 
forever open, free, and clear is how the lakefront should be. And Lois wrote her book in 1972, just after the various political and social struggles of the 60s, and she watched all of these groups in Chicago, you know, fight development. But unfortunately, according to Lois, the outcome of these struggles were very uneven. But you notice who won? White neighborhoods. <laughs> the protesters in Hyde Park were, were mainly white, not, not all, but mainly. The protesters in Lincoln Park were white and influential. The protesters for, on behalf of Oak Street Beach were white and influential. So it, it was money and um, whiteness <laughs> that carried the day. Wow, that's a great quote. That's such a Chicago quote. Exactly. It's like the, the history of the political struggle over the lakefront, I think, really is Chicago's history. Miriam, are you pleased, Miriam Reuter, having asked that question, are you pleased with what you found out? Are you satisfied? Or are you disappointed that it's not natural, that it's heavily <laughs> influenced by politics? How do you feel about this? Uh, I'm absolutely satisfied. I think it uh, makes it even more interesting that it's influenced by politics and intrigue and lots of landfill. <laughs> I do, too, uh, uh, Robin. Amor, you must feel so, too, that this makes it a much more fascinating story, don't you think? Well, I'm an urban planning geek, and so to learn all that I now know about the struggle that went into shaping the lakefront, the design elements that went into shaping the lakefront, it makes me love Chicago that much more. All right, Jennifer Brandel here back in studio with Robin to give you podcast listeners something extra. So, Robin, you went really deep with this. What was the most surprising thing that you learned? I think the most surprising thing I learned from reporting the story was the fact that really early in the city's history, we sold our coastline to the railroad, to the Illinois Central Railroad. And I, I kind of couldn't believe that the city would make a decision like that because it's the most valuable real estate that the city had and from our modern vantage point the most beautiful real estate that the city has so why would you give that over to a a private company b private industry and c a railroad when you look at the lake do you want to see like a train chugging along belching smoke so i was really surprised that the city had made that decision and then i was surprised to see how that one decision affected the development of the lakefront for hundreds of years afterwards. So, I mean, I asked a couple of people who interviewed this and nobody would nobody quite agreed with me, but I really feel like we have been working backwards from that decision ever since we made it. Like so many development projects, so many plans, so many fights, so many projects have all evolved out of the fact that the Illinois Central Railroad built its rail line, like, right on our coastline. But at the same time, that was also responsible for so much of the other growth that happened in the city, right? Yeah, so it's a it's a complete double-edged sword, and I think is a good reminder that any city needs to balance these kinds of priorities. So on one hand, we gave our most valuable and most beautiful land to the railroad, and that was in some ways a sacrifice. On the other hand, Chicago wouldn't have developed into the economic powerhouse that it became if it weren't for the railroad. I mean, we were a transportation hub, not just for the Midwest, but for the whole country. And we wouldn't have become that if it weren't for the railroad. That that makes me wonder, and and tell me if you don't know this information, but did you come across anything about the lakefront being kind of less valued for its beauty at that time? Do you think there was just a different mindset of the day where it was just really utility? It wasn't like, oh, wow, we're going to build fancy condos, you know? I think that's a really interesting question. And as best I could tell, there's there's two ways to answer that. One, 
Chicago likes to pretend that we have always protected the coastline and that it has always been clear and free, that it has always been parkland and that it's almost like we have this sense of moral superiority to other cities like, oh, we're not like Cleveland. You know, we didn't develop our lakefront. (laughs) New Jersey, please. Right. But it's it's not true. I mean, we did develop the coastline. And so there have always been these competing priorities for what should be there. It's always been a struggle. And, you know, I interviewed Blair Kamen for this story, who's the Pulitzer Prize-winning architecture critic for the Chicago Tribune. Mm -hmm. And this was the point that he made, was that cities are always contested because there's limited land, and Chicago is no exception. Yes, Chicagoans like to believe that the lakefront makes their city and thus them special. But the lakefront, when we look critically at it, is far from perfect and has all kinds of blemishes and lost opportunities and requires constant vigilance and never-ending battle to keep, you know, very well-meaning people in some cases from wrecking it. The lakefront is very special land because it marks the edge where the land meets the water. And it's got the views, it's got all the things that drive up real estate prices, and, and it has this tremendous allure. So it's not at all surprising that you get entirely different visions for what should be done there. Uh, Even among advocates of open space, you know, should there be quiet parkland? Should there be active parkland with skateboarders? You know, should there be dogs allowed? Should there be, yeah, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, You know, should you have the bears there? Should you, you know, put them somewhere else? You know, was it smart to put McCormick Place there? Should that, you know, big black building disappear? These conflicts will always be with us. And the key really is how we take the vision of people like Montgomery Ward, uh, the canal commissioners who wrote Forever Open, Clear, and Free, Daniel Burnham, and other visionaries, and apply it to the circumstances and realities of the present. That's fascinating. So are, are we still in the midst of a struggle here? It feels like almost all the lakefront from, you know, Chicago's borders is completely developed now. I mean, I think the answer is yes. I think that it's an evolving conversation and that we're always going to be arguing over what to do with the land along the lakefront. Mm -hmm. It feels like everything is developed, but even if you go down to the far south side, you know, there's a 600-acre parcel of land that used to be a steel plant for U.S. Steel that's completely undeveloped and barren, and there are big plans to redevelop that land. Mm -hmm. And even just the conversation over what to do with that space along the lakefront will have a really big impact on how the south side of Chicago develops in the future. And then you take plans or ideas like, hey, should we expand Lakeshore Drive north and south? Should we try to connect, you know, the beaches north and south of the end of Lakeshore Drive? I mean, even those issues could reshape the coastline. And then there's spots like Northerly Island, which, you know, seem fully developed, but the mayor has decided that he wants to turn it into a wildlife habitat. And so the way Northerly Island looks 10 years from now will be totally different than the way Northerly Island looks today. So the coastline is really, it's, it's a living being. Yeah, or, you know, a, a product of our own creation. Thanks so much for coming in, Robin, and, and giving us some more insight behind the story. Thanks, Jen. 
Curious City is produced by WBEZ, Chicago Public Media, Ziga and Air, the Association of Independence in Radio. Our senior producer is Jennifer Brandell. Sean Ali edits the series, and Logan Jaffe is our intern. The Curious City podcast is produced with production help from Sarah Liu, that's me, and editing oversight by Robin Amer, who was also our guest today. You can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or listen to our back catalog in SoundCloud. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Curious City. Lead financial support comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Oh, uh, we should also say special thanks to the Newberry for hooking us up with all of those super cool old maps and for all of their research assistance. Thanks, Newberry. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Um, all right, ladies. Sounds good. That's a wrap. Oh, wait. There's one more thing. All of those super cool maps from the Newberry are on our website, which is wbez.org slash Curious City. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect our community, our nation, and our world. More information available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Hail just went in my eye. (laughs) This is what you guys Ah. do for your art. (laughs) 